with a new winner in MotoGP after Aragon 2021. Francesco Bagnaia held the pressure from Marc Marquez, a six-time winner at the racetrack, who passed him seven times during the closing laps, only to run wide or not be able to keep up with the sheer strength of Ducati's better turn-in and drive out of the corners. It was a fantastic show of clean, mature, on the absolute edge racing. In my view, it was just brilliant. I'm Toby Moody, and joining me is Valentin Harunshi and Simon Patterson. Simon, what are your first thoughts from Aragon? Uh, I don't care what anyone says. I don't think Marc Marquez was beaten on Sunday because of any lingering issues with his injury. He was beaten because Peko Bagnaia was flawless. Val. That's really, really nice that Vanyai now has a win to show for what has been a really, really excellent season. Huge step forward. For me, it just struck me in those last laps that Marc Marquez wasn't the same Marc Marquez as before. He can't put a move on and keep it. He's just not where he used to be and what people think he's going to be at. Maybe again in the future. Let's see. Well, he held the pressure. He held his nerve throughout that race against Marc Marquez. Uh, how did Banyaya do that? Was it a lesson, Simon, from Qatar? Did he realise his mistake in Qatar where he led, led, led and then lost it later on? Or was it a different kind of victory? No, I think it was a completely different kind of victory. Uh, I think that Peko has grown up an awful lot in the last six months. He's stopped making the sort of silly mistakes that he's made in the past that have cost him potentially race wins. You know, he he should have won Mizano last year and he threw it away, let's not forget. Um, he didn't do anything along those lines this week. He was literally flawless. Um, someone asked him in the press conference after the race, you know, that performance was almost robotic. Did you even make a mistake? And just to almost prove his robot status, he said, yeah, yeah, I made a mistake twice at turn seven and twice at turn eight. We didn't even notice you know, that's how flawless he was. And and I I disagree with you, Toby. I don't think Mark Marquez wasn't able to make the move stick because of any weakness in the shoulder or weakness in the arm. I think Pekka was just better on the day. Um, it, it was like, for all intents and purposes, it was like watching Marquez versus Dovi last lap duels from pre-injury. Uh, and, and most of the time, Marquez didn't win those either. And what, what he said yesterday in, in what is probably the biggest praise he's ever given Bagnaya, he said that it was like fighting Dovi but with more corner speed. Which is, you know, that has been the Ducati problem, hasn't it? Since since Dovi jumped on that bike, that mid-corner turn and that mid-corner speed. If Bagnaya's cracked that, uh, and it looks like both him and Jack Miller have actually cracked that through riding technique and through working with the new Michelins and, and whatever... Uh, then I think this is the start of something new and Mark Marquez is in for a bit of a shock. I, I agree in that. I think the, the last lap defeat of Marquez isn't an indication that Marquez isn't quite you know, back to his usual self. I do think the fact that Marquez wasn't five seconds up the road at Aragon is indication that Marquez isn't quite back to his usual self. I think once he's more fit... If he's ever back to the fitness level that we're we're used to seeing him in 2019 and before, I think that would have been a more comfortable race for him because Aragon's his domain. Not quite as much as Cote and Saxon Ring, but but pretty close to it. But you know, obviously, take nothing away from from Pecco, who I've I've championed all season, who has been he's been electric. There is one thing to consider though. Um, 
we're we're concentrating a lot on Mark Marquez injury and the return from injury and whether or not he's fully fit. Um I think the problem may actually be that the Honda's turned into a complete and utter dog. Like it was a bad bike before. We know that. And we know that obviously he was able to ride around it. But I think what we're actually seeing now is that that bike has got worse. Uh, and maybe that's the real issue here. Yeah, but, it, it, you know, it wasn't great for other riders in 2019, too. Obviously, we didn't really get a, a proper read because Lorenzo got hurt at one point and never really never really stayed healthy. But, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It, 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 and let's not forget that the 2019 bike was on pole position and should have won the race here last year. Yeah. With Takanakagami on the who 19 was bike in 2020. Yeah, no, you're completely right. Who was nowhere this weekend. And and that's what makes me think that the, this is not a problem with Mark's shoulder. Yeah, there's lots of thoughts. You're absolutely right in all of them. Um, the the other thing is when the Ducatis work at this racetrack, they work. Casey was the last Ducati victory here. That was all the way back in 2010. But the scenario there was they had trouble with the handlebars and the positioning of the handlebars for Casey and the way he was riding it. So they just moved the handlebars and they didn't touch it from Friday morning all the way through to Sunday and they won the race and I seem to remember Nicky did had a good result and he was on the podium as well uh didn't Banyaya say I didn't touch the bike from Friday morning this weekend gone we just polished it and put some fuel in it exactly he said exactly the same thing he says that it was basically Silverstone set up uh that they barely touched a thing and that it just worked Jack Miller, Jack Miller, on the other hand, said that he changed everything, but that was just to make the mechanics do some work, and they went back to the previous settings anyway. Which is <laughs> <laughs> quite Jack Miller. Round and round. Rattle the spanners. Um, <coughs> another little nugget that I picked up on of what you said was uh, Banyaya hardly made a mistake. Morbidelli, he, 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 he was in a trance-like situation last year when he won the race, which is the same but kind of different. You know, he was just on another world and he said, I don't believe that was me riding the bike 12 months ago. But just an interesting little thing about Aragon that people can get in the groove. Are, are you saying they're, they're chipped by VR46, that there's a program <laughs> running through them? installed in the academy well it's the second if that was the case do you not think valentino would have plugged it into himself <laughs> yesterday instead of finishing day two very good point. well unfortunately yes because uh he uh he wasn't just outside the points he was in 19th position out of the 20 finishers so uh not good and two non-finishers as well so not good at all uh but you know it is the second victory from the vr46 academy of riders morbidelli as i said he won the three last year now we've had banyaya uh lots of hugs from lots of people on the cooling down lap for banyaya um banyaya saying after the race to you simon uh, you know it was all about this and and anuccio and albi and and everybody and all the management and they're there uh, he, and of course he's got a little vr46 logo on his on his leathers as well so what a yeah. great feeling that must be again for valentino himself that's a huge success yeah i mean it's uh it's all going in the in more and more in the right direction um where do you think miller's gonna come out of this simon where do you i know you said that he you know a fifth but fifth hurts when your teammate wins the race yeah it, it wasn't good enough um it wasn't good enough from jack which is, it feels nasty to say because it's fifth and it is a good result. But 
we are in a situation where Jack was hired as the team leader here. Peko was hired as his understudy, and it's Peko that's doing the business this year. Uh, Jack is very lucky he has a two-year contract, I think. He's very lucky he's already signed up for next year. Because if I was Jacani management right now, I'd be looking to see if there was a way that I could swing Peko ba- um, Bagnaya's new teammate to be Jorge Martin. Because that's Jacati's future. And that's really the problem that Jack has right now, is that he, yes, he's doing a good job. Yes, he's won two races for them this year, but he doesn't look like Ducati's future. I just, you know, he was facing that exact question, I think, at some point during the press conferences. Like, are you worried about how, how good Jorge Martin is looking? And he, he said something to the effect of, well, you know, if they re-sign me, great. If Jorge takes my seat, I'll find a seat elsewhere. I think that second option, I imagine, is very likely because... If if Miller does lose his Ducati ride, I I can't imagine he'll have a lot of trouble finding finding another job in the grid. Uh, KTM maybe I don't know. Although KTM already have the the talent pipeline, maybe back to Honda wouldn't that be something? But I think back to OCR Honda. Yeah, yeah, that, that that would that would make a bit of sense. It's 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 weirdly harsh. You're right, but I also I also feel the same way. It's weirdly harsh to say a rider who's won two races this season that. His his seat should be in 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 danger, and it's not like it's not like he's posting regularly bad finishes or being regularly off the pace. It's just Banyaya looks that little bit better, and Martin looks looks explosive. Even this you know this weekend, obviously he said he had some form of basically leg pump, and he he felt compromised on the bike. But even then, still a pretty pretty nifty top ten finish, and he he just looks regularly on pace now, and he. Think, think he'd be the safer bet for the future and it, it sucks for Jack because I don't think Jack deserves to be to be dropped but I think he's going to be facing an uphill battle against these two young hot, hot shots there's almost a bit of a discussion to be had here about how Red Bull do their Formula 1 thing and although it's very harsh in some matters it works with others because didn't they move Verstappen from Toro Rosso straight into the Red Bull number one team when he won his first race in Barcelona a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and then they can move them around and the whole Gasly here and then the Albon there and then and whatever they do. So I bet you Jack, with Akiayo as his manager, has got a good watertight contract that says, I will ride for Ducati, but the red Ducati team, not the white and red Pramac Ducati team. But it's still a Ducati contract. So maybe Ducati need to have some flexibility to move people around and it keeps people on their toes a la Red Bull F1. I don't know. And the good thing about Jack's situation is that he has a value to Ducati because he's a race winner. He can win races, but he's also a good development rider. You know, a lot of the work that has been done to turn this bike into a genuine championship contender this year and a multiple race winner with multiple riders is because of Jack and what he's been doing at Pramac uh, you know, all of these gadgets, all of the, the whole shot, the ride height, all of those were jack developments. And and that has to be worth some amount of value contractually to Ducati. If you've got four riders and two teams, that kind of sort of Damocles, and that's the wrong expression, that threat almost of we can move you here, we go, oh, you're doing well, yeah. we can move you up, might work and and once in every couple of years you'll just get that real gem which is what you said with with martin sorry val yeah i mean 
I, I'm not really very fond of those Red Bull F1 contracts where they can just put put a driver into either of their two teams and move them about willy nilly. I think it makes a lot of sense for the for the team. Obviously, and it would make a lot of sense for Ducati if Ducati had something like that. But it just feels feels anti driver or anti rider. I think it'd be nice if if you could see out the factory team contract that you've been given. Basically, if there was a, a strong riders union, then this is something that you'd think they would they would not like to see. And there's no rush. I think it's not like... I think there was a rush when, like, if Valentino Rossi had still been at the at the factory Yamaha team this year, if he'd had another two-year deal, there'd be a huge rush to get him out and get Fabio in just because of the discrepancy in performance. But it, it's not like Miller's flagging. It's just, you know, Martin, Martin's coming really good. But I, you won't be done any harm with another season at Pramac, I don't think. I mean, let's turn this round to the works Yamaha team scenario. Uh, Maverick Vinales just got rid of himself. Yeah. I mean, it was easy yeah. for Lynn Jarvis, wasn't it? <laughs> I did do that. Yeah. Why Why was Marquez so quick? What, was it just the left-handed thing? Was it the Saxon ring thing? Was it the fact that he's won six races there before? Is it the Nicky Hayden that Laguna Seca? Does it just work for Mark? What was mentioned over the weekend? I think the biggest factor is the Nicky Hayden at Laguna Seca factor. I think it's the fact that at the start of this season, whenever he was battered, he looked at the calendar and he said, right, I've got three chances to do well this year. I'm putting all in at Saxon Ring at Aragon and at Circuit of the Americas. And mentally, that's going to make him stronger at those three tracks, if that's the way that he's processing them. You know, I don't care what anyone says. If you've if you've written off your ability to perform at a circuit, then subconsciously you're not going to be as good there. Uh, and that's the flip side of, of having picked tracks to target, really. Um, he knew that he was coming in there strong. And then obviously there is a little bit of physical... Uh, that comes into play too. Basically, his arm is completely fine now. That That's the point that he keeps making. The arm is fine. But because he didn't use the arm for so long, it's not as strong. And because it's not as strong, it's affecting the bad shoulder, the, the shoulder that's at all the issues. Um, Because the shoulder's weaker, he doesn't have that precise, fine motor control that he needs to be Mark Marquez. Uh, but it's his right shoulder. So whenever we come to a left-hand track, like Saxon Ring, like Circuit of the Americas, and like Aragon, where he goes well anyway, because of, you know, the, being debated for years, why does Mark go well at these tracks? Is it his flat track background? Whatever. But it means that just, yeah, the, the combination of all of those factors means that this was always going to be a good weekend, just like the race in Texas is. The two things there. One, you say, you know, the right shoulder is the bad shoulder. I'm not sure he has a, a good shoulder. I think both are pretty that in, is true. in pretty rough shape. Second one is, I think we need to have a f- future debate on that whole Nicky Hayden at Laguna Seca thing, because I've revisited his Laguna Seca record, and it's not actually that incredible compared to, uh, certainly compared to Marquez at, at Saxon Ring and Cota and even Aragon. So, yeah, I, I also definitely do think that it's the it's the track-specific thing. The, the context of Nicky having a good record at Laguna is that Nicky really didn't have a very good record anywhere. So the fact that he did actually win there, he only won there twice, but he only won three races. So in that context, that that more than anything else is, you know, it's not like he, um, it's not like he won eight races at, 
at Valencia previously. Nicky Hayden only won three Grand Prix, but over two seasons, and they were the last two seasons of the big 990 V5, not the sewing machine 800 V4 thing that they then made. <laughs> so um, he went well on a big bike, and I was there at those two Laguna races. He won it by Thursday afternoon. You know, that was it. It was done. Um, yeah, bit of rose tinted. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, there was a lot of mental, I'm going to win this race, even if it was around the car park, he would have won it. But yeah, okay. I'm just trying to defend him a little bit. <laughs> because they, they were good days. They were good days. And my boy, what a it's race. It's not me was. being anti-Hayden, just sort of a, a statistical outlook at it, I guess. Well, bro, there's no room for logic and ration on this. Yeah, well, as Simon says, 66.6% of the Grand Prix that he won were at L Laguna Seca and it was left-handed, but hey-ho, hey-ho, yeah, yeah, good days, good days. So we still got Fabio Quattararo leading the MotoGP World Championship, a reduced margin now that uh, Peko Bagnaia has closed into 53 points, still Two race wins worth of points is the advantage of the Frenchman over the Italian with now five Grand Prix to go. Misano, Cota, back to Misano, Portugal and Valencia are the remaining rounds. But Quattararo, he struggled. He finished in eighth position come the flag. I think he got away with that eighth. Am I right in kind of surmising that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think he he, he got away with one. Although I think pre-race expectations, he should have done a little bit better. And you know, funnily enough, I think last last time out when we were talking about the the whole duff tire thing, I think we were mentioning that Fabio never seems to get the duff tires, never seems to complain about them, and that basically kind of sort of happened this weekend where he was like, my rear felt like it was. My rear tire, not my rear rear. My rear tire felt like it was fifteen laps old from the start. Uh, his space was a little bit suspiciously low, but I don't think he could have. I don't think he could have hoped for much more in a perfect race. Really, I don't think his his race space was just not really there to fight for the fight for the podium. Uh, did he get away with one? Yes and no. Yes, because he managed to put up quite a good fight in the pack. No, because the one guy who won is also maybe the guy who. I think it's entirely possible to expect could win both Misano races. Becco goes fantastic there. So it could make it just a little bit nervy, but still, you know, 55 with 53 with five to go. So it's a, it's a great cushion. So I, I, I still don't see it any ending any other way. You know that I've been a little bit skeptical about the whole bad tire thing for a while. Um, and I think it is more to do with, with circumstance. And, and to me, uh, Sunday's race, kind of proves that because it you know it's funny how people only ever have bad tires at tracks that they admit before the weekend starts they don't like he said coming into the weekend that it was going to be his worst race of the year and then suddenly he had a bad tire in the race and didn't perform um i i think there has to be some sort of a connection there where just yeah the, i think the the tire thing has become a bit of a crutch for all issues as a catch-all blanket term for oh we didn't perform as well as we hoped um, but he didn't perform badly. You know, he salvaged something. He, the, the most impressive thing for me actually was how well he was able to fight. Fair enough. He was fighting for eighth and not fighting for the win, but he still put up a scrap. He didn't cave. He didn't do 
the thing that a few times we saw him last year do where he just things didn't go his way and he fell apart and we know that he's mentally tougher this year we know that he's worked to to sort of increases resilience and I think that that was a, a good example of it and I really don't see much to panic him. Little glimpse to the dark past there Simon of of bad Fabio already talking himself negatively into the weekend. I thought we'd I thought we'd lost that. That's the first time I've kind of heard that this year. I, I'm not sure if he was talking himself into the weekend negatively or if it was more just a case of he was just being honest. He, you know, it, it's it's a given that this is not a Yamaha circuit. Arguably, this is even less of a Yamaha circuit these days than the Red Bull ring is. And I think he he, he was more honest because the tone wasn't wasn't negative. And even after the race, the tone remained quite positive. You know, he was very keen to say this is not a disaster. Um, I was able to fight. the The big thing to take away is that I won the scrap that I was in. He he sold it well. I mean, I I think. Honestly, I think the whole, you know, 2020 Fabio was bad Fabio, 2021 Fabio is good Fabio thing is, I think it's overestimated. I don't, I just, I don't think human beings work like that. I think everybody has, you know, their good days and bad days. Maybe Fabio has more good days mentally this year. Maybe he's a bit changed, but I don't think you just change on a dime like that from year to year. I think equally as big a factor to me, I'd suspect more of a bigger factor, but less satisfying maybe to point to is just... The 2021 Yamaha he feels comfortable enough with to fight, and the 2020 Yamaha he didn't really trust. And so when when the the going got tough, well, he didn't get going because he he didn't trust it in 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 combat. Uh, yeah, I think he did a good job. I think he's he's very very impressive in terms of battling this year compared to say Maverick, who'd never make any progress with the Yamaha once he started dropping. But I think. We could have also seen that kind of race last year. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not a strong believer in this whole mental shift idea, I guess. One thing that does support that, Val, um, I will give you, is that the the 2021 Yamaha is closer to the 2019 Yamaha than it is to the 2020 Yamaha. And by all accounts, from what I've heard, little whispers and rumors from within the camp, the 2022 Yamaha is going to be even closer again. Uh, someone asked Fabio on Saturday, maybe, whether he thought that Franco Morbidelli was going to have an issue coming back and jumping onto the 2021 bike uh, as a factory rider, having only previously ridden the 2019 bike. And Fabio was like, no, of course he's not. The, the, the 19 bike is the 21 bike. The 20 bike is an outlier. So, uh, yeah, that kind of reinforces your point there nicely. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. No, please. Honestly. It's all gone very simple. Um, <laughs> again, towards the end of the race, we have the uh, the electric blue Suzuki, Suzuki uh, hoving its way over the uh, over the hill towards us and another podium finish for, for Juan Mir. Um, if they could start the race halfway through, they'd win them all, wouldn't they? I, I think reading between the lines um, from what was said afterwards... One mirror ended Sunday's race angry, frustrated, and disappointed. Uh, simply because of that. He felt there was an opportunity there to win. He didn't get his opportunity to win. And I think he 
thinks that the reason for it is that Suzuki haven't done enough work for him. Um, he, yeah, there was just there was just something about um, the way he carried himself and the things he said afterwards that just he wasn't happy about that. Um, they weren't using the right height device at the weekend because basically it's not refined enough to use at Aragon, and he was really unhappy about that. Um, you know, we're now looking at a situation where Aprilia, who are, are probably most comparable to Suzuki in terms of budget and development, um, have a right height device that, wor- device that works automatically. You don't even have to push a button anymore when you exit the corner. It just does it itself. And yet Suzuki can't use theirs because it isn't well enough developed. So I understand why he's angry at them. Um, had he had it, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made to the race. But, you know, maybe it would have qualified him a rule further forward. Maybe it would have allowed him to go with Marquez and, and Bagnaya from the start. And maybe it would have allowed him to win the race. I I would have been shocked if, 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 if he wasn't angry. I don't know if he was or wasn't. But he did. I agree that he did appear to be not completely pleased because I think expectations have been higher for Aragon where last year Suzuki did did win and where the foundations were laid for the for the title triumph well some of the extra foundations um it's just if you look back at the season at the suzuki season as a whole i am struggling to think of a race where suzuki obviously they haven't won any so far but i'm struggling to think of a race where they were really in the mix towards the end really in the mix throughout where they lost by I guess Red Bull Ring, where Mir lost to Jorge Martin, that could have potentially gone the other way. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's been... I think Mir's been riding quite well. I don't think he's been riding worse than than his title season, but just the package is no longer the, the trendsetter that it used to be. It's no longer... It's... What it is is no longer enough. I think he's riding perfectly fine, but all that's good for is, you know, third, fourth, fifth. And you obviously you don't win a championship like that. And, and if I'm him, having already won a championship, having tasted the rainbow, um, I'd be frustrated. So to, yeah. to put it in an even simpler way, I can't think of a race this year where he's looked delighted after the race finished. Yeah. To quote yeah, the I Germans, guess. they have an expression. You know, it is easy to complain at a high level. The guy's third in the championship, though. Of course, you know, it's all relative because you, I think Val, your expression, he's tasted the rainbow, is a great one because. Right, I've won the championship. Right, now I need to prove why I won that championship. It's the Nicky Hayden factor. He only won two Grand Prix in his championship year. Uh, Alfa Mora didn't win any Grand Prix in his one two five championship year. And all these kind of stories that are littered amongst motorsport history. So he, you know, third isn't good enough in the championship. And yet he's ahead of, you know, look at who he's ahead of, full stop. Everybody except Quattararo and Bagnaia. So... Yeah, um, I I just get the feeling that is this an old Suzuki thing of they just don't quite have the resources, they don't quite have the resources full stop, whether or not the financial, uh, manpower, brain power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they've hit the glass ceiling. Maybe that's the thing, Simon. The the problem is it, it doesn't even seem like... That is the issue. It feels, obviously, from the outside looking in, and we don't know what the actual realities are inside the team. I need to caveat by saying that. But it feels like 
And I didn't think this would happen. It feels like they lost something with David Abreu. I was just about to say. It feels like they've reverted a little bit too much to that traditional Japanese team conservatism. And what made them what they were was having the blend of Italian, Latin, passion with the Japanese. That worked really well. It was a really good strategy. And and yeah, it just feels like there's something that's not quite there. Uh, and that's been kind of played out by the whole whole shot device debacle because they've been, it seems like they've been refining and refining and refining and refining and refining until it's perfect. Whereas if that was Aprilia, they'd have brought something that was liable to spit a rider off halfway through a corner, but if it made them 0.5 faster, then it's worth it. Who cares? You know, that's the, and, and there is a happy middle ground, but they've gone too much the other direction. You know, I, I do actually, like Toby, you've summed up the way I tend to feel is, I do think Suzuki has, you know, probably not maximized its development potential this year. I think that's probably fair to say. And I think that, the reputation of Mir on the bike has been more enhanced than the reputation of the of the bike, which was the bike to have last year and clearly isn't the bike to have anymore. But I also think that, especially now that he knows he can be champion and wants presumably to be champion again, uh, I think Mir knows. And if he doesn't know, I think he suspects, but definitely I suspect that a full Mark Marquez with the full might of Honda behind him and Fabio Quartararo with the full might of Yamaha behind him on on their on their good form are unreachable for the Mir Suzuki package I think because of the resources I think they can they can do guerrilla warfare style 2020 title and that was brilliant but I think if MotoGP again gets a a totally on-song rider, big team combination. I, I don't see how Suzuki tackles that. I don't see how it's beatable over a season. They are working as hard as they can with the resources that they've got. Nobody is going home before five o'clock in the evening. Nobody's clocking off. Let's get, just get that completely clear. When you're in a team, you want to win the goddamn race at all costs. However, losing a politician who could swing things around with the Japanese is massive. Even the Japanese put in a non-Japanese person into Honda with, with Supo to, to, to kind of speed things up. Um, look at what, I don't know, help me out here, Valentin, Horner did, do, did does with Honda Formula One. It, he, will, he will chivy them along better than the Honda guys being on their own. And yeah, but the McLaren also chivied them along, and that went terribly, their last reunion. So you can certainly overreg it in terms of Formula One. Yeah. Let's not make this a Formula One podcast. Yeah, but it worked rather well for McLaren yeah, yeah. the first time. But 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 yeah. on their own, maybe they we've discovered that here we are, two thirds, three quarters through the season, and it's 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 going the wrong way. It it feels like a lifetime ago, but I don't know if you remember whenever uh Yamaha first announced that Cal Crutchlow was going to be the test rider. And Maverick Vinales said, it's amazing that we have Cal back because he'll tell it like it is. There you go. There you go. And, and that's, the, that's the role occasionally of an angry European. Mm-hmm. And Maverick did a lot of telling it like it is. And 
Yeah. <laughs> and then it wasn't anymore. Yeah, let's let's not fall down that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> I think Maverick's problem might have been uh if you believe Maverick, his problem might have been that no one was listening. Yeah, you can go on too much and then people turn off. I mean, we did, you know what? We yeah. did at a certain point. We didn't turn off because it's obviously, it's our job to listen and we, we are interested. But at a certain point, the Groundhog Day feeling of the of the Vinales debrief. So you can, you can certainly say the same thing over and over again too much to where it just sort of becomes part of the morning greeting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. How well did Enea Bastianini do? What a boy. What a what a hero! I he should be on the on the work spec bike next year, shouldn't he? I mean, there's there's it's not like he's not had super standout moments this year. He's not had a he's not had a Jorge Martin season, but he's got some real potential there. Clearly, and I you know he's been more impressive than Luca Marini as much as I like Luca. I think Ana has uh, has shown more so far this season. This was the culmination of that. This was a great race. He seems to be. Very, very comfortable in race trim and on used tires. But also, you know, there's also a dash of qualifying pace there. Not at all circuits has it worked. But there's there's a lot of potential there. And if there's a... Apparently there's a fifth uh, work spec Ducati for next year. Apparently that's going to Marini. I like Marini a lot. But that bike is an AS. That should be an AS, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, I agree. And And the difference in the two of them is that... Luca is this sort of he's he's the the result of the VR46 process. He has been through the academy. He's you know he's they've crafted him into a racer. Bestia still feels like he has lots of rough edges. Yeah, I agree. He feels like someone who's kind of not fluked his way into a world championship because he did really well to, you know, he completely deserved that Moto2 title and he deserved to get a MotoGP seat off the back of it. But it's all kind of, it's happened very fast and uh, there are still rough edges that need polishing and they're being polished and, and the Grissini team next year will be a great environment for him. I, but you just, you think he's going to get faster and faster. That's my point. Whereas Marini almost seems to have already hit the limit. Like I've I've just written up the just before we jumped on the podcast, I did the writer ratings for this week. And um Marini has got the lowest score that he's got this year. Um because so far I've been, you know, I've given the guy the benefit of the doubt because we know that he's a slow learner and we know that he develops into the, you know, what he does, but but where he finished on Sunday just wasn't good enough compared to where all the rest of the Ducatis were. Feels like I'm personally falling into a trap of looking at it too simplistically and falling into stereotypes. But for me, it's it's hard not to see Enea as the instinctual writer, the instinctual guy, and Luca as the the thinker and the sort of the more refined character who's gonna what he maybe doesn't have in the same level of natural talent as Enea. He's gonna try to get through workload and smart approach. Uh, I don't think he's hit his ceiling, Luca. I think there have been flashes that that he is capable of of, of much more. But the problem is, modern MotoGP is brutal. It's absolutely brutal for rookies, even rookies who are pretty good and have shown obvious talent in the past. He will not get infinite time to deliver on that potential. He'll he'll need to start showing flashes that'll make people notice at some point. Uh, and an AI is showing those flashes. 
I've thought since the start of the year that what we would see that, that because Bestia had this raw talent that we would see him having flashes at the moment at this beginning of the season. But then as time progressed, that we'd see uh, Lucas start to catch him, close down the gap to him, and then overtake him. And I, I think that's why I'm a little bit disappointed in Luca because we haven't seen that. It hasn't been the case. Uh, those flashes of moment. From, from Bestia have continued whereas Luca has kind of plateaued um, the one good thing he has in his favour you know, the, the reality is he won't get infinite chances but he will get more chances than most other riders in this situation because of who he is and who he rides for it's going to be difficult for Valentino Rossi to sack his brother yeah but also I think it is important to say yes there there will be extra considerations for how the, the grid is formed but Man, we have a, such a good grid. Like, even the guys who are going to be dropping off. If we lose Luca Marini at some point, Luca Marini is an, an asset to MotoGP. He's a good rider. There are no riders here who, who shouldn't be. It's just the talent turnover no. is, is, is absurd. How would Instagram survive for all of the under-17 females of the world if Luca Marini was not in MotoGP, Val? I mean, this is a <laughs> fundamental part of the business proposition. Yeah, I mean... I He's a handsome bloke, isn't he? <laughs> what is there to say? He's a very good-looking guy. Yeah. No, no, no. But, you know, jesting about. But, uh, no, you're right, Simon. You know, it is very difficult for Valentino to disassociate himself from the fact that he's his, he's his half-brother. You know, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing. And he's got to bat off those kind of comments and he will have done and they will have thought about it in the in the process of putting him in uh talking about valentino uh he did say or banyai did say that valentino said before the race you know don't change your mind on the tires and he didn't he stuck to his he stuck to his guns he stuck to his guns the person who did change his mind on the tires was zarko 17th I mean, what a perfect example of changing your mind. First and 17th. What did the Frenchman have to say, or did he just shrug his shoulders? Well, he, didn't, he didn't seem to point to the, to the medium front as the, as the main culprit. I think he had a combination of arm pump and just, just not really being on the pace. He's having sort of a, a simultaneous, pretty sharp drop-off in form that we're also seeing in Oliveira, except without the injury to explain it, really. It's... it's been strange i don't think like if he had gone for the hard front soft rear maybe we would have seen him like 11th or 12th or in the gravels also probably a pretty good chance uh it's a shame because it's been a really really good season this is this is souring the taste a little bit i should say hmm. somebody who's going the other way but eka lecciona talk about weight off his shoulders goes further up up grid, up, um, up race results. <laughs> Has somebody made a mistake, or is it, or is it just him going stuff you two fingers? What's your take? I, I don't think it's anything to do with uh, pressure being eased, or know that he doesn't have to worry about his future. He's fast. I think he is a kid. He's the youngest rider in the grid. He is the least experienced rider in the grid because he came into Grand Prix racing quite late and he has had an exceptionally difficult introduction to MotoGP and he just needed to be given a bit more time. 
Like we are halfway through his second season, but he's only done roughly the amount of races that you would have done in your rookie season because of a shortened calendar, because of missing races, because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's barely done a Grand Prix season. Um, you know, there are still tracks he's never raced at after two seasons in the championship. And he's been ejected from the class. And I, I think it is an example of how um, sometimes we're a little bit too mercenary in how quickly the series turns over riders. Um, sometimes we have to be aware that talent doesn't just, you know, not everyone is Fabio Cotteraro. Some people will take a bit more time to develop into top riders. And I think we'll be sitting here in a year's time. I genuinely believe we will be sitting here in a year's time talking about how stupid whatever the team formerly known as Patrona Shamaha will be called next year are at the fact that they've hired a 36-year-old semi-retired rider to replace the 21-year-old kid who is the up-and-coming thing. One of the up-and-coming things. Sort of, you know, as, as somebody who's pretty much been following Iker throughout the season and, and talking to him through most sessions. That's just, you know, that's just how our division of labor has, has panned out is that I've been, I've been talking to Iker a lot. Uh, it's, it's, I, I still don't think he's fully come good and I don't know what an Iker who's fully come good looks like. And it's, it is an exciting prospect because clearly there's a lot of row potential, but he's still, I don't think he's still the best at, at managing a race. And, and and managing a qualifying either. And we've seen that again this Sunday because he uh, he made a mistake at reverse corkscrew that cost him like three positions, I think, or something like that. He would have finished higher uh, up otherwise. Seventh to eleventh. Yeah. Yeah. Um but there is a lot of there is a lot of raw potential. He he has had some time. He has not not had a chance, I think. If you ask me about the tech three decision to hire Remy Gardner and, and Raul Fernandez. I look at the Moto2 standings, I look at this year's Moto2 championship, I cannot fault them. The only nope. the only sort of thing I can fault them with is I'm not, I think we're all not sure how much Raul Fernandez wants to be there on that bike, considering that he was being headhunted by, by a different manufacturer, but I cannot fault them. I can fault Patronus Yamaha for not, for not taking up the option, because that seems to, that would have been a lot of fun, very interesting. Um, I think the expectation is, for all of us, it's sort of appears to be something of an open secret is he's definitely going to world superbikes eker uh probably to honda world superbikes the the factory team that's going to be a really interesting mix i wonder how that aligns with the idea that he wants to return to MotoGP at some point in the future i don't think factories hand you out contracts that are like stopgap contracts um so we'll see about that i mean it could have been it could have been better he's got a lot of potential but also given how many KTMs he's written off these past two years and how many of them have been in the gravel, how many of them have been torn up. I think a factory World Superbike ride, you could have done worse. You could have ended up back in Moto2 or something. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not as worked up about it as you are, Simon, but I am still a little bit disappointed because Lequona, Patronus, Yamaha, whatever it's called next year, that would have been, that would have been a ton of fun. The, the best case scenario for multiple parties here would potentially be Iker Lacona as a, an LCR Honda rider replacing Alex Marquez in 2023. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <clears throat> yeah, I hadn't thought of that. It, 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 is a, it is a bizarre scenario because he was put in to KTM kind of from nowhere. I hope I'm not being rude at that. Um, Simon's shaking his head no. Um, and it's this perfect storm, as you say, Valentin, of, of, of Gardner and Fernandez coming in. That's the KTM way of feeding them in from underneath. And Lecciarona wasn't part of that. So he was a stopgapper himself. Um, yeah, it's it's just a scenario. It's just a scenario. I think if he goes to World Superbike, it'll be very hard for him to come back to MotoGP. I think that's a one-way... Yeah, I also get yeah. that feeling. But he is really yeah. young. Yeah. He is really, really young. He is that really Usually... Yeah. Maybe he'll flower yeah. with the experience that he's got and... It might just be that, you know, what did Sterling Ross always say? Everybody in the world has a talent they were put on this world to do. He said, maybe I would be the best artist in the world, but I've never picked up a paintbrush. I just happen to be good in a racing car. And I've never forgotten that phrase because it, it applies to all of us. And maybe for Lucky Rona, he'll be best on a world superbike. Who knows? We'll find out. And and just to, just like, just to pick up on that age thing, he can go to World Superbikes next year. He can have a good year in World Superbikes and he can return to MotoGP the same age as the current reigning Moto3 World Champion. Crikey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Th there's, there's, he is so young. <laughs> you know, we, we do tend to forget that. He is so young. Remy Gardner and Raul Fernandez are going to be testing the KTM MotoGP bikes on the second day of a two-day test after the first Mizano. You picked up on this yesterday, Simon. Um, it's not been confirmed, but you've obviously heard on the Austrian jungle drums. It's kind of being confirmed because uh, the two of them got in the podium. I went to the Moto2 podium press conference and I said, can you tell me anything about it? The two of them sort of looked at each other and laughed. And Remy <laughs> went, well, go on, you say it first. And Raul said, no, no, you say it first. And then, then they both spoke about it. Yeah, they, they both confirmed. They'll do two sets of tires, second half of the day, the final day of testing. Um, and it makes complete sense. Um, why wouldn't you if you were KTM? Uh, we've got limited preseason testing. We've got two guys here leaving that team anyway. And presumably there's not a huge amount of new stuff to be tested by them anyway at that test by the tech three guys so so you know just take the two bikes stick the two t the two new boys on it and see what happens um raul described it as uh giving giving some candy to a small child um as a bit of a reward for how well they've done this year as well so yeah it all makes sense to me and and actually uh, although it's been a bit of a rocky road to get Raul Fernandez under a KTM MotoGP bike, the the way the excitement in his voice whenever he was describing uh, the chance to ride the bike makes me think that he's actually come to terms a little bit with how everything's played out now, and obviously seeing everything that has gone on at Petronas Yamaha since he since he didn't get the chance to sign for them has probably made that a little bit easier. If if Raul Fernandez's performances are at all tied to his mental state and expectations of next year then clearly his mental state and expectations are fine because he was amazing this weekend <laughs> he was incredible yeah, he was it's what a like a, a yeah. moto 2 performance for the ages almost strange to hear that pedroza won't race again full stop for ktm won't race again in moto gp um i took i read it i read the article twice and i just took it as a Pedroza's kind of put his foot down. He didn't want to do it in the first place and he's put his foot down. 
have I got the right or the wrong impression? I don't know what goes on in Danny Pedroza's head, but I would imagine that there was a certain moment where he was lying in the middle of the track at Austria with bikes skimming past him and his own machine in a huge fireball a few meters away. And he just thought, why am I here? I think that's probably made the decision for him. Why am I here? And I only did this because I'm being good to the boys in the factory. And I kind of just went, all right, then I'll do it for you. And then it all, as you say, falls the wrong way in a couple of laps. Uh, Yeah. We've heard it from many other sportsmen. What am I doing? Lorenzo said it once when he crashed. I forget where it was. What am I doing? When he crashed off the Repsol Honda and he hurt his head. Yeah, when he broke his back and and asked him. Yeah, yeah. Hang on a minute. Yeah. So hmm. ultimately, that's a perfectly, that's a as good a reason as any, probably the best reason out there. Absolutely. I, you should not be on that bike if you do not want to, if you do not want to race, you should not race. And I'm, I'm, you know, if Danny does not want to race anymore, I'm really glad that nobody will make him to. That's, I'm always wary of people who, who say that they race because of, you know, in no particular order, the management shouted at me, the sponsors or whatever. And I always say, it's your decision because it's yo ass going to hospital. Yeah. And Danny's has been in plenty of hospitals all over the world. Oh, Probably sick of them. There are, there are nuclear physicists in the world who have had less radiation exposure than Danny Pedroza. There are much x-ray machines and CT <laughs> uh, machines he's been inside. Yeah. What was that Spanish newspaper article? And they put up a, a picture there, of him. There's and a chart, yeah. Arrows into, into where every single bone he's broken in his body. And there were almost more arrows on the picture than there were, you could see the color of Bones his Bones in his body. body. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, how did it go f- with Vinales? Let, tell you what, let's st- stop myself, Moody. Alicia Spargaro hardly saw him because we were concentrating at the front of the race. Alicia Spargaro, I thought for a minute he was going to win it if those two at the front took themselves off. I did. I thought, as a commentator, I went, he can win this. Can you imagine? Uh, but in the end, he, he, he came home a slightly distant from third, fourth position. Was he happy after Silverstone's third? I hope he was. Um, no. <laughs> and he wasn't happy with fourth because he's had a third. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's 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 testament to Alesh, actually, more than anything. He always wants more. And I think that is what has made him such a valuable asset to Aprilia. He always wants more. He always wants more. He finished third at the weekend. Uh, last weekend, he finished fourth this weekend. We said to him afterwards, you know, is this the culmination of everything? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, the next target is to be third in the championship. He is such a motivating force for that factory. And and he's not being unrealistic. And, um, you know, I, I get what he's doing. I get the way he's driving them forward. I think it's great. I think that a rider who is riding for a team like Aprilia who are very much on the up, should never be happy with any result. He's exactly what they need. It's perfect. Coming to his new teammate, Maverick Vinales, how did that go? Uh, It went okay. Uh, I think more than than anything, it showed just what a brutal category this is now. Uh, You can't just rock up on a bike and, and be competitive straight away unless something really seriously clicks. And I think, you know, for Mark, for Vinales, it's clearly he has not made a huge mistake because the the pace, like he got on pace pretty pretty quickly. He was not that far off of a leash on an ultimate pace. There was clearly 
a much better lap time and a much better grid position possible if you know just slightly more experienced and putting it all together uh, in the pack Vinales has never been strongest so I'm not surprised he hasn't really been able to to fight his way through especially on a bike that he doesn't he doesn't know at all in race situations yet and I think honestly I think Aprilia has never been quite the bike to have racing in a pack if I remember correctly uh, so it, it went okay maybe there's a part of me, like a dreamer part, that expected a little bit more that he'd rock up immediately sticking into the top 10. And, you know, that hasn't quite happened. It Honestly, it might at some point this season, because there's a lot of ground to make up compared to the other guys when it comes to the experience level. But it looked it looked okay. The the, the pace is there. He'll he'll get there. So, yeah. And the, the thing is that, you know, he was quite candid afterwards about what they'd learned, what they still have to learn. And, you know, it's 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 basic stuff. Like, uh, he said, you know, I'd, I've almost forgotten how to overtake in races because they struggle so much to do it in the Yamaha. And now he's got a bike that's insanely stable under braking. He's having to learn all those skills again. It will take a bit of time, but it'll come. Well, they being all, all the non-Fabio Yamaha riders, because Fabio has been wonderful. Well, there is that. Year. There is that, Yes. <laughs> Uh, Crutchlow was on Vinales's old bike. Is that the last time we'll see him on that bike? Is that the last time we'll see him in a MotoGP race? I don't think so. Uh, I have a gut feeling we'll see him again in Mizano. Um, that's just reading between the lines, picking up some stuff from the team. Uh, I don't think Franco Morbidelli is quite ready to jump back into a race weekend yet, from what I've heard. And what I think will happen is that Crutchlow will get the nod to race again this weekend and then Morbidelli will make his reappearance in Factory Colours on Tuesday's test. The more and more this goes on, the more and more Morbidelli made a proper mess of his knee. He, he, it isn't so much that he made a proper mess of his knee. He made a proper mess of his knee, but he did it in 2015. And since then, he's been trying to get away with not needing this surgery. Uh, and, and that's the thing. Knee surgery is just the rehab from knee surgery is the most complicated thing you can do um, because you you can't do anything but rest. You're reattaching some very delicate ligaments and they have to just heal up before you can stress them. So he's he spent three months sitting at home, literally doing nothing, not bending the leg. This is it's It's not that he's done a particularly bad job on the knee. It's just that. That's the process here. Yeah, they anticipated a, a long, long timeout, and it's it looks like yeah. it's going to be a, a race longer than than expected. But you know, this was this was part of the plan. They sort of knew that the season was being sacrificed, and you know, there wasn't much to sacrifice. So it, there you go. It always felt a bit strange targeting Mizano as a comeback um, on a back-to-back set of weekends. Anyway, yeah. You know, what difference does four days make? Yeah. Um, the VR46 team, Simon, you and I caught up face-to-face at Silverstone about it. Uh, you wrote an article yesterday on the website about it. It's not going to happen, is it, this whole Aramco thing? Are they, are they won't be back to square one VR46, but it seems to be that they haven't got anything in place. The VR46 Ducati MotoGP team will happen. Whether or not it happens with Aramco backing is another question. Um, and then why it won't happen with Aramco backing is a whole other question on top of that. Um, 
I don't know. There is so much floating around about what's going on there, about all sorts of crazy rumors. Um, but for whatever reason, it seems like the Saudi money isn't going to appear. Um, the team will go ahead. They'll find a sponsor. They'll put some name in the bike. They'll get money. Hey, if he has to dip into his own bank account for one season to make it happen, he's got a bank account big enough to do it. Um, he's got personal sponsors that he can lean on. You know, hell, the guy is a the guy is what honorary chairman of AGV Dinesi. He's a shareholder. His first ever MotoGP, or his first his first ever Grand Prix season was on an yeah. AGV sponsored bike. It's AGV's seventy fifth anniversary next year. Oh, I know. Let's just make it the AGV Valentino Rossi Ducati team. There are all sorts of possibilities. That'd be a very cool retro livery as well, wouldn't it? It would, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Wouldn't Shades it? of Ago. There are all sorts of easy solutions yeah. to this. Um, so. It's not something to worry the Rossi fan, but it is something that will leave yeah, them with egg sure. in their face. Okay, well, uh, we've got five races still to go in 2021 with Mizano, then America at the Circuit of the Americas, Austin, Texas, back to Mizano, so the freight will stay in Italy and the paddock flies over the pond, comes back, then goes all the way back to Portugal, another long drive for you, Simon, and then back up to Valencia to finish off the season. 125 points still in play, 53 points the lead of Fabio Quattararo in this 2021 World Championship. Great new winner in MotoGP with Paco Bagnaio. He may be new that it was to be his day in the sun because, as he said, from FP1, I didn't touch anything on the bike and everything was okay. It was perfect. To win today was incredible. I am so happy. And so are we. I love a new winner. I think it's great. From Valentin, from Simon and myself, Toby, enjoy your week and we will all speak to you after Mizano this coming weekend. Keep in touch with the-race.com for all your MotoGP news. Goodbye for now.